This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. So the Reds have touched down stateside ahead of gearing up for the upcoming Premier League title challenge. But away from Jurgen Klopp's touring party are a few notable absentees. One of those being one of his high-flying wingers who, rather than check in back for pre-season, is still focused on landing yet more silverware. Just 20 days after the Reds lifted number six in Madrid, the African Cup of Nations began. Hosted in Mo Salah's homeland, the Egyptian king returned home, heading up a trio of Reds to feature in the competition, along with Naby Keita and Sadio Mane. Only one remains standing as Mane's Senegal face Algeria in Friday's showpiece final. And in this offering here on the Blood Red channel, we'll be delving into the key talking points of the tournament, which include Mo Salah leading the Egyptian charge only to suffer a shock elimination in the round of 16, just how Sadio Mane has taken Senegal to the final and within eyeshot of their first AFCON title, and even how in Africa the final two pits Liverpool against Manchester City. I'm Guy Clark, welcome along to the this offering and that's our greetings taken care of let's dive straight in and i'm pleased to say joining us on the line is none other than african football expert ed dove and ed thanks a lot for joining us how are you keeping yeah i'm pretty good it was uh, very hot in uh, egypt it was pretty stifling so uh, uh while i enjoyed myself there it did a uh, did test me i think it's uh, fair to say and i'm sure you've come back with a uh, a suitcase full of memories from the afcon <laughs> i've come back with uh, with quite a tan and uh, the memories are still to be still to be processed, but yeah, some of the some of the experiences just kind of visiting different places in Egypt, watching African football out there, uh, getting to spend time with some of the players, and getting to to watch players who maybe play in African leagues who you don't get the chance to see all that often. Um, seeing them test themselves against against better players was is always a great privilege. And talking of the African Cup of Nations being in Egypt, Egypt, uh, a nation who. Late noughties, early part of this uh, decade, did really well winning three AFCONs in a row. What was the feeling there ahead of going into the competition? Mentioned in the intro there, Mo Salah coming home. Was the expectation for them to go deep in this tournament? Yeah, it certainly was. I think three three reasons for that. One being, like you mentioned, the, the history, the kind of pedigree they have. Secondly, being the home support, which uh, in Cairo was obviously fantastic, was deafening. And thirdly, being being Mohamed Salah, that you know Egypt, while that team in the, that 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 great team in of the last uh, decade, um, they had great players, but they didn't have that one kind of global superstar. Now Egypt actually have for the first time ever a global footballing superstar. So that I think has swelled the confidence, even if the uh, the reality ended up falling falling a little bit too a little bit short of that. And what's the atmosphere been like? In Egypt, hosting the tournament, we often see with the, with the host countries, it really is sort of a groundswell of public support for having the tournament. Has the same been true in Egypt? Absolutely. The, the, the tournament hinged, though, obviously, on that South African winner against Egypt in the round of 16. Because before that, I think there was broad uh, confidence, if not expectation. There were some dissenters, some people who would kind of say, actually, the team's being flattered a little bit here by the results and we're not as good as... Everyone's saying we're a, we're a, we're a cut below the top teams, which ultimately proved to be true. Um, but there was a broad sense that the uh, the, the, the football's coming home, to quote a, a famous song. Um, but then, obviously, when that South African winner went in, the whole mood pivoted, and obviously, people began focusing on the deficiencies. The coach was soon fired, um, and the obviously, when when a team are hosting a tournament, their players become a marketing vehicle for everything, be it. Uh, croissants, be it soft drinks, be it crisps, 
And so all the billboards that had kind of bestrode Cairo proudly up until Egypt's elimination became uh, yeah, a, little bit, uh, a little bit sad and sorry after they'd exited and uh, the mood changed. And in terms of African football supporters, obviously Liverpool have a, have a great following over in Africa, fanatical about the sport. And as you say, having the tournament, obviously it is the African tournament, but having it in Egypt, the north part of the continent, the atmosphere then losing in Cairo against South Africa in the round of 16, I imagine it must have gone from jubilation to horror quite quickly. Yeah, I don't think I've actually ever experienced anything quite like it. A, a stadium of 75,000 people that was, if not literally silent, then almost silent. Because, I mean, the, the the change in the atmosphere was remarkable. You could literally hear the South African players, the individuals speaking on the pitch. That's how how stunned everyone was at that moment. Um, and then there was kind of a brief rally. I think South Africa scored with five minutes to go plus stoppage uh, plus additional times. So there was kind of a brief rally from the supporters, but then the mood really changed when they were when their elimination was confirmed, and there were kind of some nasty words shouted at the players. Fortunately, my Arabic isn't good enough to fully understand what was being said. Um, but yeah, the the recriminations did start quite quickly, unfortunately. And we know, obviously, in this country, when England are built with expectation, if they don't live up to it, they are vilified in, in the press. Is the same true over in Africa? Is there that condemnation of the Egyptian side, of Mo Salah? Has he come out of this tournament badly, given that Egypt did only reach the uh, the round of 16? The thing is that with Salah, his stock is so high that even if some people questioned elements of how he conducted himself during the tournament, more in terms of off-field incidents rather than on-field incidents. Um, I think his stock is still so high that he's escaped fairly unscathed. But certainly the coach has borne a lot of the brunt of the uh, the kind of backlash and he lost his job. Um, and the federation as well. I think the, the, the entire Egyptian federation um, resigned in the aftermath of the defeat, taking responsibility for some of the decisions that had been made more in the build-up and the preparation to the tournament rather than actually the tournament itself. Um, but certainly there were kind of constant selection issues and, and debates about whether the coach was picking the best players. And I think they came home to roost essentially with the elimination. But um, Salah, apart from maybe some some dissenters at the final whistle against Africa, I think no one I spoke to had drastically changed their opinion of him. Because the thing about Salah is, even though he's a superstar, as Liverpool fans will know, he, he gives everything and he really pushes and he presses and he takes responsibility. And Egyptian fans can appreciate that. They can see that and they can realise that even if things aren't working, even if he doesn't have the players around him on his level to kind of break down a defence, he's not downing tools and he's still um, he's still battling for the cause, as it were. Mention, obviously, Mo Salah's side, Egypt going out in the round of 16, as did uh, Naby Keita's Guinea side. He wasn't involved at that stage. He, he had come home earlier from the tournament, but he was obviously a fitness concern going into the tournament. He was trying to be fit for the, for the Champions League final, of course, for Liverpool mentioned in the intro that it was just short of three weeks after the Champions League final that this AFCON kicked off. With Guinea, with Naby Keita, what was the expectation for him? And again, like Salah, how's he come off from the tournament, the, the perspective that he's been given? Well, obviously, if you remember when uh, Keita was first injured, there was that kind of back and forth between Klopp and the Guinea uh, FA where they were kind of quite publicly deliberating how injured he was and what the prognosis was going to be. And I think maybe as a response to that, maybe because they didn't want to, maybe because Guinea were trying to play maybe mind games, kind of not wanting to give away the full details on, on Keita, they didn't really 
they kept they kept the cards quite close to their chest, and then Kaita came on in Guinea's opening game against Madagascar, which they were they were struggling against the Madagascar team who were making their debut in the tournament. Um, and Kaita came on; he played about half an hour, uh, didn't look right at all. Um, then he he started; he played seventy minutes, I think, in the game against the defeat by Nigeria, and again he looked a far cry from his usual kind of dynamic self. And it was clear that he wasn't right. So yeah, he, he then left the camp to go and get, a, I think, a second opinion on his on his injury, on 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 further, to get an opinion on further treatment. And I think by this point, Guinea were were almost holding their hands up and kind of you know acknowledging that that they were looking to the future. There were reports that his family home in in Conakry in the Ghanaian capital was uh, attacked um, by youngsters in the aftermath of Guinea's uh, uh, Guinea's elimination. But I don't know to what extent that was aimed at Kaita, who himself, I mean, deserves credit for at least trying to take part in it, when I think many of us thought when he was first injured that he wouldn't be appearing at all. And he's a player who obviously coming into what will be his second season for Liverpool now. The first season he started ever so well, sort of dipped off, but by the end of the season, again, we were beginning to to see perhaps what the true navigator can offer to, to Liverpool, and I suppose the hope is that the injury is not going to be a reoccurring one that will continue to plague him. Yeah, absolutely. I think what he needs is a good pre-season and then to be able to kind of really uh, step strongly into this new season. Because like you say, he had found, he was finding his form again back in the Champions League and also and in the last few games in the Premier League he played, he scored against Southampton. He, there was a the, uh, great performance away at Cardiff and then he scored against um, Huddersfield as well in that, that route. So he was really finding his feet and he was really kind of beginning to show the qualities that, that many Reds fans had, had Come to ex- had been hoping for when he first arrived, um, and it remains to seen. I mean, he's not with the team in, in the USA, is he? So I think it, it'll just be a case of when they get back, assessing his state, and uh, hopefully he'll be fit in a, in a month's time when the uh, when the season kicks off. And of course, the third and final star Liverpool player involved in the African Cup of Nations, Sadio Mane. Senegal have have got to the final. He scored three goals along the way. Of, along the way for them it's been some rise for him when you think back to when he began when he moved from Africa to, to Mets for his debut in European football back in I think it was 2012 to January only 19 years years of age at the time was this ever in the pipeline that Sadio Mane was expected to become such a phenomenon? I think so because I think the the missing factor was maybe the the maturity the responsibility the leadership I mean there's not been any doubt about his talent even from before he moved to, to Southampton. And I think that's one that's something that's really improved under Klopp, improved by working alongside Salah so so closely and so intimately. The competition between the two players has pushed Mane, I think, this last season, this last eighteen months, to really step up in the bigger games. We saw it again in Bayern Munich away with that that outrage, that outstanding performance. I mean that was one of the best performances from an African player in the knockout stage of the Champions League I've seen in a long time. And then that's that's translated to Senegal, where now I think Sané uh, Mane is 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 thriving, being the the leading man, thriving being the main man for Senegal. He scored uh, three goals, I think, in his five games so far, um, and he's he's taken responsibility, which is, I think what you want to see. It's something that separates the players who have got outrageous talent and the players who have got outrageous talent who are who are consistently settling games. Um, at the last AFCON, it didn't quite come off for, for Mane. He missed that, the penalty to when Senegal were eliminated against Cameroon. And the penalties have again been a, the, the fly in the ointment, as it were, this tournament. He's missed two. 
Um, but to his credit, he did step up again to, to take the next one uh, with mixed success. But it'll be interesting whether come the final on Friday, whether he is taking any responsibility for any penalties that may uh, may arise. You mentioned he, he really relishes in being the star man in this Senegal side. Final group game, they played Kenya, needed to get a win, and he scores a brace in that game and then scores the only goal of the game against Uganda in the round of 16 to, to start the knockout round for, for Senegal as well. Yeah, it's again something that I think Liverpool fans will have uh, come to appreciate from Manny over the last two years, 18 months, is that he is a guy who doesn't just reserve his big performances for the easy games. We, did, we saw him score against in the big win against Bournemouth, the big win against uh, Watford. But he also stepped up and delivered against uh, Chelsea in that 2-0 victory in uh, in mid-April, uh, I think it was, and also the, the win away against Bayern, for example, um, and made a decisive contribution early on in the Champions League final. And that, that game against Uganda, uh, that was a much cagier game. So the Kenya game was, was, was very open. Senegal should have scored a lot earlier. Ken, uh, Kenya were, uh, to be generous, quite limited at the back. But the, the Uganda game was much cagier, it was much tighter, it was much, uh, there was much less space and time to operate. Um, but again, Mane made the decisive contribution, capitalised on an error by the Ugandan defenders and proved that he, uh, yeah, he, he is a man, he, he remains a player for the big occasion. And despite the fact they both got 22 Premier League goals last season and shared the golden boot, there is sort of the feeling that Salah... I don't know, outside of Anfield, outside of Liverpool, that Salah's sort of the A-side and Mane may be the B-side. Is he, without sort of disrespecting him in it anyway, still underrated? Or in Africa, is he seen as equal to Salah in terms of their presence, both on and off the pitch, that market marketability, that star presence that they both have? Well, I wonder if it'll be a bit different after this weekend. Because I think if um, Mane does win the Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt then we might need to look at it more of a kind of Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields situation where you've got a bit of a double A-side going on rather than an A-side and a, and a B-side. Because um, I certainly think that uh, even though Salah has stolen more of the attention, I think last season Mane kept pace every step of the way. I think when Salah had that dip in form uh, during the early part of 2019, Mane really stepped up to the plate. There was that run where he scored... Uh, four goals in four straight games in the Premier League, I think, when Liverpool were struggling for results. Um, and I think that a major international tournament, Senegal's first international uh, AFCON it would be, that could be the kind of thing that tips the broader perspective, uh, maybe not in Mane's favour, but certainly brings them on on a level, a level playing field. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. If this was a European competition, if you had the Premier League's top goal scorer, a man who in all competitions last year scored 26 in 50 games, won the Champions League, and as you say, if he took his country to a maiden uh, international tournament win, we'd be looking at a potential Ballon d'Or winner, wouldn't we? Yeah, well, I, I question, unfortunately, how much the AFCON weights in the Ballon d'Or voting, because obviously only one African player has ever won the uh, the Ballon d'Or. That was George Weah, who never came close to winning the Nations Cup title. So historically, the Nations Cup has never really influenced uh, voting at the absolute top end of that of, of the Ballon d'Or. But I certainly think Mane's performances in the in the Champions League, coupled with this, this kind of international uh, this success in international competitions, would be more. Uh, would certainly put him amongst the contenders, yeah. Certainly when it's not a World Cup year. 
Um, yeah, I certainly think that that he'd need a he'd, he'd have a good shout. I think it's the consistency for me that's made the difference with Mane this season. Uh, I mean, the consistency during 2019, which has resulted in the Champions League, one major honour, and potentially another, um, which certainly puts him in good stead. And you look at his, his stats since he's been at Liverpool, three years, year on year, he's improved his goal tally. The first year he scored 13 goals in 29 in all competitions. Then in 2017-18, he scored 20 goals in 44. And last year, 26 in 50 games in all competitions. He's going at, at better than one in two. And that's for a player who predominantly is obviously coming up, coming in off the wide areas. Yeah, absolutely. But he's now at an age 27 where he's he's really in his in his prime years. And certainly I think next season, providing he gets enough rest before the campaign, that's a big caveat for me ahead of this coming campaign. But providing he's he's fit and raring to go when the season starts, it'll be fascinating to see just what kind of numbers he can he can hit this season. And we were talking about obviously George Ware and the Ballon d'Or win in in 1995. Whilst the Afcon may not have all too much waiting, a Premier League win this year for either Salah or Mane, whoever whoever perhaps takes another golden boot. Do you feel as though we might be getting to a position where we are knocking on the door of seeing another African winner? What particularly goes in their favour is that they've got a they're playing in a system and they're playing in a, with a manager who knows how to get the best out of them. He's demonstrated. He knows how to get the best out of them. He knows how to develop their games. And I think that's why it's such a particularly exciting time for African football to have these two players, both very emblematic of their nations, but playing at such a top level and breaking barriers in terms of um, success at the top the top level of the game. Um, and yeah, why not? Obviously, it depends what happens in Spain. It depends what happens in... Uh, Euro 2020 next season. It depends what happens in in other leagues, but I certainly think that um, Africa will rarely have a as good an opportunity of two players who are so visible, playing at such a high level and playing playing at such a and, and in such a an environment that's conducive to their their talents. Well, of course, we've spoken a lot about the Liverpool players and the Liverpool connections with this year's AFCON, but easy to forget, there is the final taking place on Friday night. Algeria, who have Man City's Riyad Mahrez in their ranks, who scored the goal to, to get them into the final, up against Sadio Mane's Senegal. It does seem that even when you go to Africa, it's still Liverpool v Man City for a, for a title, whichever way you look at it. The two met in the group stage. Algeria won that 1-0. Are they the favourites going into this final? Yeah, I certainly think Algeria have been the most impressive team in the group stage. They were the most impressive team in the knockouts. Um, they've been able to uh, hurt teams forward actively and consistently than other sides. They've had a a real... Uh, they can hurt you in lots of different ways. They've got a real variety of options up front, uh, good options off the bench. Um, but their defence has shown some weaknesses against... Um, certainly in the, in the knockout games, they've been tested more... And with right back Yusuf Atal injured, that's a big loss for them heading into the uh, heading into the final. And we've we've spoken about the tournament and the role of Mares has played up against Mane. Is that how this tournament, the final, is being built? Even in Africa, that it is Man City v Liverpool. It is Mane versus uh, Mares because we know Liverpool have a huge following in Africa. Is the same true to be said of of Man City? Not to the same extent. So in Egypt, a lot of obviously there's a the Salah effect, which is absolutely massive. But also a lot of uh, older men, uh, when they learned I was from Merseyside, would would speak to me with kind of uh, teary eyes, remembering what, what their dads had told them about Liverpool and the great teams of the past. And I certainly think that that kind of 
the Reds' heritage and the Reds', Reds historic success has made them a much bigger prospect in in Egypt and certainly Africa than, than Manchester City. Um, to an extent, the final is being billed a little bit as, as Mahrez versus Mahrez, because I think football in general, and certainly in African football, they, they love kind of focusing things on the stars, pinning things on the big names, on the, on the superstars, on the, on the, the visible players. So I certainly think that um, Mahrez and Mane is receiving a lot of the billing, but it's, um, there are lots of different elements going on. It's also North Africa versus West Africa, the two kind of regional powerhouses of the continent. Um, and it's also two teams who have a fairly high standing within the African game. have never, haven't quite had the success to match. Algeria only have one AFCON title and uh, Senegal have never won it before, even though they reached the final in uh, in 2002. So I only think these are two teams who um, believe that they are owed more success in the in, in AFCON tournaments than they, they've had to date. And I certainly think that gives the, the final an edge. And of course, Salah, Mane, Mares, the stars of African football right now. Of course, Liverpool have been linked heavily with uh, Nicola Pepe at Lille, the Ivorian player. Are there more stars in Africa set to break out and set to become big hits in, in Europe, do you feel, in the next sort of 12 months, 24 months? Yeah, certainly. So I, I do a bit of scouting work myself. And it's great to kind of get players together in a tournament like the AFCON and to see uh, how some of the less heralded stars play against some of the players playing in major leagues and how some of the would-be breakout stars play against some of the more established uh, faces. I certainly think Atal, who I mentioned before, Algeria's right-sider, plays for Nice, has been linked with a move to the Premier League. He's certainly someone who has lived up to the to the billing at this tournament, both going forward and uh, and defensively. Uh, another Algerian, Adam Unas, 22, uh, has played in, in Napoli. Uh, he's he's predominantly played off the bench, but he's been uh, excellent. And Ismail Assar, who is a player who's another player who's been linked to the Premier League, a Senegalese uh, wide man, plays in France with uh, Stade Rene. Um, he's not maybe had the impact in the final third, I think, that uh, many would expect. But in terms of beating men, in terms of movement off the ball, in terms of just terrorising defenders with pace, he's certainly been uh, been one to watch. And how we spoke even sort of further back about George Ware and being the Ballon d'Or winner in 1995 and there hasn't been one to follow since. Perhaps unfairly, there's been a, a bit of a stereotype against African players playing right at the top level in European football. But with the likes of Salah and Mane, it certainly does feel right now is a hot time for African football and that that's certainly changing. I certainly think the timing could be good for Salah and Mane, mainly because they are kind of we're coming to the end of the Messi and Ronaldo cycle, but so amazing football for the last uh, last decade. I think between 2008 and uh, when Modric won the Ballon d'Or in 2018, for for a decade it was Messi and, and Ronaldo winning it, which um, meant that, for example, Didier Drogba's achievements in with Chelsea in, in 2012 didn't lead to him winning a Ballon d'Or, for example, or even kind of coming close due to the and Real Madrid dominance of the last the last decade. So I think with those two players, great players, I would never write them off, but but perhaps coming towards the end of their their prime years, I think it's it's football needs new superstars right now. And I think um Mane at twenty seven, I think um maybe not Navigator, but I think Salah also at twenty seven, these are guys who over the next two years, three years could hopefully 
have a, have a, have as good a shot as anyone of, of winning uh, winning the Ballon d'Or. Yeah. Well, Ed Dove, African football expert, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us on Blood Red to talk about the African Cup of Nations and how Sadio Mane has helped lead Senegal to the final. Of course, the final takes place on Friday night. But just as we round things off, a quick one from you, just on a, uh, a personal highlight and personal memory from the tournament itself. Well. That's a low light in Spain. How about that? Yeah, that's um, that's fine. In, in Cairo, I don't want to be negative, but in Cairo, certainly when I arrived, every single conversation was the same. It always began exactly the same way. Someone would come up to you, they'd say, greetings, sir. Welcome in Egypt. They'd ask me where I'm from, and it was always very courteous, very uh, friendly. I'd say, I'm from England. They'd kind of say, oh, England, lovely, great country, lovely place. Uh, which city are you from? And so I'd say I'm from Liverpool. I'm actually, I was actually born in Birkenhead, but if I kind of say I'm from Birkenhead, you know, my thinking is that no one will really necessarily know, uh, know where that, that is. So I said, I'm, I'm from Liverpool. They say, immediately they say, ah, Liverpool, beaming face, thorough excitement. And they start talking about Mohamed Salah. And uh, they start talking about his Egyptian. And that's about it. And for the next two to three minutes, without fail, for every single conversation I would have, all we'd be talking about was Mohamed Salah. Except it wouldn't really be me talking about Mohamed Salah or us talking about Mohamed Salah. It would be me listening to someone talking about Mohamed Salah. Because Egyptians love talking about Mohamed Salah. So they would be, I'd be hearing everything. It would always be basically the same, slightly different order. We'd hear about goal scored, was broken, international debut, time obviously that goal against, against the Blues. Uh, we'd hear about Sergio Ramos, not a very popular figure in, in Egypt. I'd like to add that. Um, and after two days, I just decided that I wanted to talk about something else. So I didn't tell people I was from Liverpool anymore. So I started saying I was from Derby, or I started saying I was from Runcorn, or from Toxtus, or Naughty Ash, or just about anywhere, just to try and kind of talk about something else. And I had one Uber driver. And when I said where I, I was from, he goes, uh, he goes, Fazakali. Whereabouts is Fazakali? Is it near Liverpool? And I kind of groaned and I said, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite near Liverpool. And for the next uh, 20, 25 minutes of that taxi drive, we, uh, we talked pretty much about Mohamed Salah. So, well, Mohamed Salah, as do I, there's only so much Mohamed Salah a man can take, I think. And I, I certainly reached my uh, threshold in, uh, in Cairo. Well, Ed, thanks a lot. That's a great anecdote to uh, to end on, and keep an eye on uh, on Ed because he is writing a piece for us about the uh, the experience of being in Cairo and the experience of seeing Mo Salah at home. But thanks a lot for your time, Ed. Do really appreciate it. Thanks to you uh, for listening as well. And until next time, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.